Hi, and welcome to the New York Public Library podcast, The Librarian is In. I'm Crystal. I'm Frank. And I totally missed another sentence in there. What was okay. it? You do it in your own way. We, I mean, I don't want it to be so canned where it's like books, culture, and what to read next. That's been the line since Gwen days back in the day, which is a nice one. Um, but I just, you know, thought we'd shake it up and have you just introduce it in your own way. And you were succinct, warm, and inviting. Thank you. <laughs> no pressure. Shouldn't be stressful. Shouldn't be stressful like every other part of our lives at all times, always. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm all right. I'm on yeah. vacation, visiting family. Is that a vacation? Uh, it's the only one that I feel comfortable taking right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like prior to COVID, um, I made it a point to do traveling and to go and leave the country at least once a year. But since then, I'm just like, I guess I'll just head to Texas and see my family. And yeah, I don't know when I'll feel comfortable to to really leave. Interesting. Good point. I mean, it, me too. I haven't traveled anywhere although where would you like to go well i mean i've said before i i had plans to go and tickets and bookings and everything to go to greece in 2020 mm -hmm. um and then i go to mexico if i can but mm -hmm. and visit a friend in idaho but um i haven't done any of it i mean i guess fan, the prospect of going to family obviously pushes you over that hump, like you can do it because it's family. It's like going to a home. Yeah. Like your home or, so I guess it can, but now it, everything, I don't know, everything seems, I was going to say frivolous, but do I mean that? You know, I, 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 also, I also think like with visiting home, because I do it so regularly, it's, it's the process is so easy. Like I know what flights to get, which airport to go to. And I think it's just a less stressful endeavor than having to figure out um, traveling to new locations, which is the least fun part for me. I know I have friends who like really enjoy that aspect of traveling. Yeah. But for me, I'm just like, oh no, that's just more work. Yeah, because it's exciting. Traveling is exciting, but it's, it's also stressful. So, um, I have something in my ear. <laughs> um, no, maybe it's an earwig. Uh, no, just schmutz. Is traveling is stressful? So to add, you know, another layer of like, what am I going to encounter? What are the rules? Mm -hmm. And I guess there's sort of this fantasy of like having everything just be over and yeah, getting free and easy. I mean, I've heard different stories of travel that people are told, but yeah, you'll get there when you get there. I think I'm to do even contemplate it. Yeah, I think I'm this is probably like an outdated fear, but I think I'm kind of fearful about traveling somewhere and then another kind of pandemic outbreak happening and being trapped at a, like a location that I'm not familiar with, which I feel like we're beyond that point. But that makes me nervous a little bit. That's actually a good point. It's just about, you know, the world destabilized our our routines or our plans or, you know, our routines. And now it feels like maybe it feels like anything can happen. So 
by doing something that's already stressful, like travel or going to another country, being away from home. Now it feels like, well, anything could happen. You know, it could happen again, like you just said, or so I didn't think of it that way. Just like the idea of like, okay, well, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Lord knows what the world will throw at us. Yeah. So that, that, that makes sense. Um, I mean, it's just like being, I don't, we've probably talked about this. <laughs> I always say that being back at the library, um, especially, yeah, we must've talked about it, but anyway, it's always on my mind. Uh, just after the pandemic or, you know, being open again, being, and having been closed because of the pandemic and the renovation, seeing and experiencing patrons in a slightly different way, like habits have changed. Did we talk about this? How I, I sort of came to the realization about how libraries um, are most successful when they're reliable and consistent. That's that concept came up to me just because um, being closed, you know, through no fault of the libraries, um, like many businesses and and Mm -hmm. institutions and things were closed. The patterns of usage have slightly changed. Like everything's Mm -hmm. similar, but, but different. And people, I think, got used to doing other things or nothing. I mean, during this time, they found, mm-hmm. you know, ways to get news or other things because the library wasn't there. And I'm very conscious of that. But it, it is like alive, the library for sure. It's just different usage. And it's interesting to me to see how we can be of use at t- going forward. But that idea of, of consistency and reliability is so important, I think, to an institution like the library. Mm-hmm. It provides, I think, a, a lot of comfort and, and schedule and routine and familiarity. And I like that. To yeah. Take. yeah, and, you know, so I'm determined to keep that going now if we can and just to see how we can be useful. Mm-hmm. I think the yeah. I like the consistency word because I think about a lot in terms of like teen services and when I was working in the branches being able to provide um, a a program at the same time every day you know sometimes they were like very low-key programs other times they were a little bit more involved which is for the kids to know that like four o'clock every time you come in on a weekday there's something that's happening that you can participate in I think it's good um, I mean for all people to have but like young people especially to have that sort of consistency um, and yeah, I feel like that meshes with your idea of the library in general, about being this like really reliable, open and welcoming space for people to come into and use. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're, well, one of the things, like if you're used to, uh, you know, getting up and going to the library to read the newspaper, because that's how you access your news, when that was taken away, I mean, it, it, it drove a lot of people who could online. Um, and so something, some habits have changed about, in that regard, like how people access news, which, you know, in some ways don't get me started about that. I mean, we have, we've had conversations about, um, at the library about with the patrons and the staff about how people access information online. I, it's, I mean, even I sort of, who always talk about, I hate computers and you know, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I did more staring at my phone business which I'm over, but, you know, really realized how much, how 
and I'm, I feel like I've, I've talked about it so much here. I've said it here as well. So everybody forgive me. I repeat myself constantly. Um, you know, like anyone with a a phone and a and a green screen in some ways can like sit at a desk, have a fancy logo behind them and present themselves as news, like emulate the sort mm-hmm. of podcasters we're familiar with, like sitting at a desk with papers and being like, today, um, blah, 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 was accused of blah, 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 and then give their own opinion. And mm-hmm. then people finding them, let's say on YouTube, you know, and they like what they're saying, say, oh, that's my source for, for news, so-called, when it's really just opinion. And sort of, you know, misinformation or just da- damaging, harmful information. And it's like, anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. You and I right now, I could go on YouTube and do attract enough people and be like, hey, it's Frank, you know, I'm here, Frank Hilarious. I'm going to hear talk to you about today's politics and then mm-hmm. stop off. And then people find me and it, you get a bunch of views and then suddenly you're a source. Like everyone's the media now. Everyone with the Twitter accounts of media. Twitter, it, Instagram, TikTok, right? What did I read? I read a quote. See, I, I don't think it, there was a lot of good quotes in the book we read for today. But I don't think it, unless it was, oh dear. See, I'm so disorganized this morning. It was a nutty kind of morning at the library, just a lot of stuff. And, and we're meeting later than usual. So I, I usually see you first thing before I get mm-hmm. into the library world. But now I've had a couple of hours of, uh, you know, fielding problems and things. Um, what's the quote I read? <clears throat> it was about truth. Oh, no. I was reading a review in the New York Review of Books. About this book? or No, no, actually. About... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, about um, Ian McEwen's new book. Lessons, oh, I, wait, what's it called? The The Lessons. Okay. And I I really like Ian McEwen. Um, so it, it the quote was something like communal truth about commu- about the non existence of communal truth, and that's you know true. The idea of truth comes up a lot in the media and in our conversations, I think. And and I think directly related to what I just said, that now that there's so many media platforms that are essentially personal platforms, but sort of Mm -hmm. with increased viewership because of of access to the internet become part of the media, you know, like I said, you could set up in Texas in your mom's basement or whatever and have like- How dare you? This is the- (laughs) We don't have the Facebook channel where you know <laughs> Crystal talks about politics of the day and become bec- then become referred to by the mainstream media mm, so, mm-hmm. and saying because if you get enough attention, then you're part of that conversation. So it just seems like if you are if you get out of your of your personal silo, let's say where you get news and stuff, then you realize how many voices really are out there and how many people are listening to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely fractured, and the the amount of people listening to each channel on YouTube, let's say, is not anywhere comparable to what people used to watch on the networks because they were limited and there was no other place to go mm-hmm. um, except newspapers and the networks. So there's that, which you could say democratizes information. But now it seems like there is no, and, and there never really was a communal truth because there was always voices out there that just weren't heard mm-hmm. for better or worse. And um, now that all those voices are there, it's like if I poke around into places that technically I wouldn't agree with, 
but I see how much people are listening to the, those voices. I realize how can we ever come together again? Mm-hmm. How can we ever? Um, it's like you. It's like I mean, literally watching these channels challenges your concept of reality, because one will like respond to a, like a hot button issue in the world, like abortion or something, mm-hmm. and say that point of view and say, you know, this is the truth. And then someone else can take the opposite tack and also be convinced this is the truth. And it's like, oh my God, like we'll never agree again. I mean, it was an illusion probably to begin with because the media was so tightly controlled and and there was, as I said, no other place to go get information, but the networks on TV and maybe one or two newspapers that you might've had in your town. And now it's like the wide world is open to you. You could listen to some commentator in another country or do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, now I don't know if this is a patented segue to the book we read. Well, the rejection of reality and what is true and what's not. Yes. I think that is a segue. We're all about the segues here. The librarian is in kids. All about the segues because everything relates to books. So, Frank, this book melted my mind. <laughs> Did it? So, Crystal Lambert by The Anomaly uh, by um, Hervé Letelier, mm-hmm. French author, a um, lot of press, New York Times bestseller, worldwide success. It won the Prix Gancourt, which is a big French literary prize. So, I thought it'd be interesting to read. And, and, and I think talk about this we do have to like spoil it right well that's usually our philosophy when we just right. read a book okay. together that we technically people have already read it when they're listening to us but you know that's not always the case so yes we will spoil it to pieces <laughs> that's i wanted to it's like just to talk freely um so be warned anyone so what were you gonna say I need you to explain this book to me. <laughs> you're, you're, it melted your mind. It melted my mind because, um, well, here, do you want to ex- uh, uh, present the book? Oh, oh I, I, I could do it. Like, you're probably to kick back and let me I'm, do the I'm heavy a, I feel like I'm a terrible summarizer, but essentially, okay. like, it, it follows, for the most part, I would say, like, chapter by chapter, a different character, although some chapters do kind of, like, do different things, um, and you're introduced with, like, a wide host of characters. The first one, I was like, oh, yeah. what kind of book is this? It starts with this um, character named Blake, who is, like, a contract killer, and you're like, oh, what's happening here? And then you go through a variety of different people, including, um, I think, like, an author, um, a child, um, a, a film a, editor, film editor, and mm-hmm. the basic premise of the book is that they um, go on the plane at some point, and there's a flight that happens in March, uh, twenty twenty one, I think, right, with the this group of passengers, and then um, that's all fine, and then in June, uh, they discover another flight with the same duplicate passengers and they are taken to like a military base um, and then they're kind of reintroduced to their uh, duplicates and then the rest of the story kind of follows um, the characters as they kind of uh, find a way to coexist or not coexist in some places in some cases like for example the author in um, he had already passed away originally so this June author uh he comes in and he kind of takes on his role in his book since his death has become like a big hit and everything um i think the contract killer 
you know, something yeah, no. or some kind of happens and they're referred to uh, the characters. Like I think Lucy, uh, one of the characters, Lucy, the, the one from March is called Lucy March. The one from June is called Lucy June. And then mm-hmm. more stuff happens. Yeah. The ending was very well, interesting. <laughs> like you said, the, really the first more than half mm-hmm. or almost half of the book is it being introduced to each chap, each character chapter by chapter. So like you have one chapter and you meet Blake, the contract killer and his business. And then the next chapter is someone completely different. So you're always mm-hmm. pulled out of someone's life, put back into someone else's life. And then by the midway point or so, whatever you, they, all these characters are confronted by some government officials in the, in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, all these characters were following in their stories. You encounter the fact that they took a flight from France to New York, from Paris to New York, and that flight was extraordinarily turbulent and horrifying. So that's them. And then they are visited by these government officials who uh, take them to this military base, like you said, because for four, four, three or so months later in June, a plane that was identical with the identical passengers landed in New York as well. Um, and everyone's trying to, and now they've landed. So they're keeping that group, that duplicate set of passengers in quarantine, so to speak, um, wondering how to deal with this. And then, like you said, the last half of the book is the March landing passengers meeting the June, their duplicate June landing passengers and they are duplicates like with the exact same set of memories exact everything Mm -hmm. except the june people um don't have the memories of what happened between the march landing and june Mm -hmm. so that that three months or so it's like a hundred something days the june people don't have Mm -hmm. which is an interesting literary thing to do he's just giving it three or so months i mean almost to say that you know, one's life can change a lot in just a couple of months, mm-hmm. which is true because you referred to the author, Victor, who after landing in March has this sort of like almost emotional breakdown of sorts or revelation of sorts that impels him to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his duplicate in June lands and mm-hmm. realizes that his, his duplicate had killed himself and he's the only one. And what does that mean for him? Like him to say, who's the exact same person? Okay, I I essentially killed myself. Mm-hmm. What happened there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other ones have to meet themselves. Like, you know, Lucy, you mentioned, has a kid. And then the Lucy in June lands, and she's also like, where's my kid? And then there's mm-hmm. some three mothers, so-called, vying for the attention of this child that they both love because they're the same person. Like each one of them has different emotions about the other, like almost antagonistic, like you get out of my life. And the other one's like, no. And like the interesting thing about the June landing people who landed in June is like that Lucy had to stay in a hotel where the March Lucy, who was already back at home, stayed in the apartment. And the June Lucy was like, why do I have to stay in the hotel? I'm the mother. You know, like that kind of thing. And what was it? The couple, I think it was Joanna and 
uh, I don't know, it was like Abby or Abby. Abby, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the March Joanna, because she had still been living there for the few months, like got pregnant. And so when uh, Joanna June came along, at, at some point, Joanna June kind of runs away, sends a series of letters. And mm-hmm. just, I think it was interesting because she kind of placed more value on June March because June March was pregnant and yeah. for that couple relationship. Yeah. And she felt like she had to cave because she was the one that was not pregnant. And so left the relationship. And I think it seemed like she found her own kind of life, you know? Right. That was interesting because Joanna, the June Joanna, um, absence herself from the equation. Mm-hmm. She decides to write March Joanna and her husband, essentially, A.B., uh, letters to say, like, you know, you guys live your life with a new baby and I'm going to hit the road. Because um, March Joanna, like you said, was pregnant, mm-hmm. got pregnant after the March landing. So then the June Joanna never got pregnant. <laughs> so there's that. In, a, in an overall way, it seemed as if when I thought about it, unless you can think of a detail, that the June people, not having gone through the three and a half months or so of life that the March people did, mm-hmm. um, were better off. Like, Ooh. Joanna made a decision to leave. Don't forget David's. Well, they both, yeah. Well, I mean, um, Sophia, the kid, mm-hmm. or Sophie, the girl, the young child. Sophia, I think, yeah. You know, because of the June, the June Sophia, you know, basically it brings to, to sur- the surface that her father is abusing her. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad stuff in here. So I'm sorry if anyone listening is upset because we've already talked about suicide. The, there's, abuse. yes, there's suicide um, abuse. There's also um, a really like grisly, I think murder scene too oh yeah yeah so well, just like yeah. be aware of that blake yeah march blake no june blake blake june Kill, blake june kills his blake, blake march, march yes like march had come back landed changed all the passwords on his secret account and so june blake said no mm-hmm. and, the and there's even a detail in that where he when he's killing himself but mm-hmm. not suicide because he's killing his duplicate um, notices a mole on Blake March's back and says, Oh, I should get that checked because he has the same mole. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't seen it. I mean, the detail like that. I, there's me or this got dark quickly. Um, the, there was the other character, um, David, who David June, when he arrives, he discovers that David March is dying of is it cancer or another illness, right? So in those three months, he's developed this illness, is dying. His brother and his wife are like, I think, like shocked and I think have very mixed feelings. Like here is this healthy David, but we don't know what's going to happen. And it's right. basically having two funerals. And it, it turns out that I think that is what happens to that. David also David June um, gets ill. Right. And so they have to live through it again. Mm-hmm. Da- yeah. David June, David June's brother, who's a doctor basically also takes the opportunity to now that they have a heads up mm-hmm. to possibly give him better treatment. And David June's wife is sort of upset about the fact that she'll have to go through the process all over again with their kids, that they already just buried a husband and now they have to do it again. Um, Yeah. I mean, David's story ends the same, but I felt like the June 
people like they some like like Andre and Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre and Lucy. Andre's much older than Lucy. They break up. They're the March Andre and Lucy break up, and unhappily, at least to to on to them. And um, the June Andre and Lucy come together mm-hmm. because the March Andre tells the June Andre here's what happened. And then the June Andre says, I'm going to try to fix this. And they end up together. I think she gets pregnant. Too. I think so. Yeah. And so that's what I mean. That solved that relationship or made it so-called better. Um, and I don't know. I don't also know. Slim Boy. Remember Slim Boy? Oh, Slim Boy. I love that yeah. one too. Cause he was a, a I think a music artist mm-hmm. and when this new person comes in, they decide to like do music together. And so instead of being called slim boy, they're called slim men. <laughs> and he, they present him as his like long lost uh, twin brother, um, which I thought was kind mm-hmm. of fun and interesting. Yes. And yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess um, you're a sci-fi fan. I like sci-fi. I don't read as much of it as I should. Because I think, uh, you know, I can imagine sci-fi fans looking at this slightly differently than I would. Because I certainly read it as a, um, you know, as a literary um, Mm -hmm. device to illuminate humanity right and Mm -hmm. the sci-fi elements are just like okay okay like they don't bother me as much but i think some Mm -hmm. i just accept them but i think some sci-fi fans would question some of the choices made in the book because there is a bunch of chapters with the scientists who are discussing uh how this happened and there are different Mm -hmm. theories and you know, like that sort of loses me a bit like, you know, physics and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you well, know, there I, is a wormhole, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the reason why I like sci-fi, I think is the same reason that you enjoy literary works, which is, I think it illuminates like the state of humanity. And that's the interesting part of sci-fi. Right. I think more so than fantasy or other genres, it really reflects what's happening now. Right. By thinking about like our future, I think it reflects our current fears and anxieties. Right. Um, I tried to look up some of the science behind this, and uh, I guess it's based on this thing called simulation hypothesis. And I think trying to understand that made my brain melt because I was like, I just don't understand. Well, I mean, let me just say that mm-hmm. I read sci-fi for the same reason, but I think mm-hmm. what I, the point I made meant was that I think people who are very into sci-fi or scientists themselves would have trouble with some of the scientific things put forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't think it would seem as satisfying because they sort of decide it's a simulation event. So it is a simulation. Yeah. Well, I think, I think um, they do. And I think that's sort of a quick decision and then it becomes concrete. Like it's not, I don't, yeah, I don't ending, know. I'm, right? I'm just positing that some sci-fi fans might think that the conclusion that what happened. Explain um, the ending. Is not, is not, was not scientifically satisfying enough. That's, yeah. I guess, my point. Well, I didn't understand the ending either, even though it's pretty strong. But I think that, that everything is a simulation. That, because much is made in the book about this, about uh, this, that we're all a program. Mm-hmm. Or that, let's say, the, the second, the June passengers 
or or even the March pass, I don't even know, the June passages were a duplicate program of reality, but then I think the, the literal computer program or something, like almost 3D printing, you fill in the blanks, like what the science would be there. Again, I'm not savvy onto that. And I think so, that's why I mean, I think some scientifically minded people would be troubled, would be confused by the solution. But I think what it's ultimately saying is that everything is a program, that none of us are um, human or what we think we are. And, and who knows who's running the program? I don't think that's clear either. And, that, and this question never said, never answered. So by the end, when there's an event with a third plane that's coming in, that's shot down by the government because it's like we can't have a third duplicate set. Mm-hmm. You know, what is not duplicate? That means two, but like a third set of the same passengers. The government shoots it down, and that sort of seems to dissolve the entire program of everything. It's almost like the end of the world. The yeah, like I mean, I read it on the ebook, so I don't know if it looks exactly the same yeah. on the paper book. But it looked like the letters start to fade away, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of make out the words like "white noise" and then "end" at the very end. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's saying this whole story is sort of dissolving and disappearing. The um, whole program is dissolved. The program, <laughs> and that's everything that we know. Um. So I mean, like from my very very basic basic understanding of simulation hypothesis is just this idea that in the future um, there is going to be so much like computing power available that I guess the people in the future can run these simulations of people in their past which would be us right Um, so the time stuff kind of like messes with my mind so um, that's a little weird a part of me is like you know is this oh so when I flew here this is kind of a side note. When I flew here, I flew like Southwest and I mm. uh, was watching the Matrix mm. Resurrections. <laughs> but the internet went out, so I only got half of the movie. So I'm assuming when I fly back soon in a couple of days, I'm going to watch the other half of the movie and maybe I'll have the answer to all of this in that movie. Um, right. See, that's a good example because I've definitely heard that the Matrix of the movies have some bearing on this book, the anomaly that we read in terms of simulation. And I had to say, like, I'm probably one of the eight people in the world who saw that movie. It, 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 I had no clue what was happening. <laughs> the I most recent one even, or the first one? The very first one. I've never oh, seen okay. it since because I'm just like, not a sci-fi head. I don't get it. Like, I don't really understand <laughs> it. Um, so it, it sort of flies over my head, so to speak. But this, actually, you sort of said the simulation thing rather well it, it is sort of sense. like but why would they run that simulation then in the future that's the unanswered question i think there's unanswered questions in sci-fi that okay. sci-fi people just accept or fill in with their own knowledge of it like but i'm always like why i think mm-hmm. why is a question that's really hard to ask because if you tr- keep asking why 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 eventually you're going to hit a well, who knows but it is no? is it like for example, my brother does a lot of gaming and stuff, and I see that there are these types of games. I don't know what they're called, Age of Civilization or whatever, where it's like, you know, they are in some ways simulations of a past, although some of it is made up. So it's just like a higher level version of that, possibly, because we we are kind of doing stuff like that now. There's just not um, consciousness within it. Right. I guess that's a good point. Like, if one of the games that, because I don't also don't play video games, 
but I, I know it of them and I, the world seemed, you know, pretty expertly rendered. So like if the people in the video game that your brother plays had consciousness and they mm-hmm. believe they're living their lives, they're not being controlled or they're not being programmatically manipulated, then that's a sort of analogy to this. But why would destroying the third plane or the last plane cause the simulation to dissolve? See, that's a question I think is the who knows, um, because hmm. it's it's whoever is doing the pro- or whatever is doing the programming decided that's the end of this whole program because it it was a it was a an act of well I wouldn't say, I mean it's violent but I wouldn't in the game or programming aspect I'd say, or simulation aspect I'd say the third plane might have just broken a law mm-hmm. or a rule of whoever's doing this simulation and that that's ending the program mm-hmm. which everyone is in ending the you know simulated program that some other entity is manipulating, which is who knows who that is or what it is or, mm-hmm. or even what it takes, mm-hmm. you know, like the answers in the matrix, you know, that I think that all the people are hooked up to something and they're living their lives and think they're living, but they're actually just less sort of like vegetative and they're, mm-hmm. and they're hooked up to the program. It makes them think they're living their life. Yeah. There's that red pill, blue pill right. scene. And I, it seemed like, again, I did not finish that movie because um, of Southwest's internet. But it, it seemed like there was this whole conversation about, like, you know, the idea of some people choosing to live in that simulation right. and rejecting the reality outside of it. Right. And obviously, like, you know, in The Matrix, the reality outside of the simulation, from what I could see, <laughs> seemed pretty terrible, honestly. Right. That, I, now, you know, I do remember that now. And, and that, I think that relates to the book, The Anomaly, we read, because mm-hmm. it, especially the older I get, the more I understand anyone's, most people's choices about how to live their life. Because, you know, younger, I'd be more like hard and fast about, no, you have to choose reality. But now, you know, reading the book, and we should say that so much of the book is there is these people's stories. Mm-hmm. of their personal lives and what they're struggling with and what they're doing in their careers or personal life. It's not sci-fi driven. It's like you get, you know, 160 more than, you know, half the book of their lives before the mm-hmm. actual so-called science fiction kicks in. Mm-hmm. So you're actually going through people's daily lives with them. Um, and the choices one makes because the, the book does bring up the question of like, what is reality? How do we live our lives? I mean, mm-hmm. the very end of the book before the simulation seems to end permanently, uh, the author just illuminates or writes about these momentary flashes of life before it ends, meaning a woman walking her dog or yeah. a, a man turning the page of a newspaper or the sunlight coming in through the window. And so it seems to say in some ways, multiple ways, I think it doesn't matter what we are. We have, if we have those moments, like those moments Mm -hmm. are life. And if they're real in quotes or simulated in quotes, does it matter? Mm -hmm. some people in the book, it absolutely matters because people have a crisis of existence. That's probably what the author Mm-hmm. character victor went through and some other characters too but then other characters are sort of like i don't care whatever 
I'm, you know, and I think a lot of us would be like, if if, the, if we suddenly got news, and let's say we all believed it, even though we started this conversation that there's no communal truth anymore, and somebody's not going to believe it. Let's say like you and I did, said, oh, you're all just a simulation in a in a, someone else's video game. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, some, and but you're gonna, nothing's gonna happen. You're just gonna continue doing whatever you're doing. Would I get up and come to the library tomorrow? Probably. Would Mm -hmm. I still Mm -hmm. sell books and talk to the patrons? Yeah, I guess. Or would I have a complete mental breakdown and and not be able to function because my sense of reality has changed? I mean, in some ways, some of us would just sort of say, all right, you know, okay. And then forget the fact that we're a simulation to be back in our emotional lives again. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or some other people would be a real rupture. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, you know, as in life, like, an event can change how you proceed or it cannot change how you proceed. I mean, mm-hmm. like the three or three month gap between the two duplicates, um, mm-hmm. how that changes or doesn't change your life. I mean, and the author who the March Victor who killed himself, the June Victor finds this woman he, he loved mm-hmm. earlier in the book and ends up with her. Yeah. A very happy ending of of coming together and finding love. And actually speaking of that, there's some I just realized there's some quotes that are sort of right at my my alley because they're very Mm -hmm. existential. But I realized they had the similar theme and I didn't realize I had written both. One was um uh late in the book it said, um, I think about Victor, at least love stops us from constantly looking for some meaning in life. And I know that mm-hmm. part of my like drama of existence, which some listeners have picked up on certainly is always like, what is the meaning? What is meaning? What is meaning of our lives? <laughs> and when it said at least love stops us from constantly looking for some meaning in life was powerful because love is such a strong emotion that it, it, it makes us really technically enjoy the moment and Mm -hmm. feel so happy and satisfied that sort of what I said before, that it doesn't matter if there's meaning in life. I feel so good right now. Mm -hmm. I feel so good being with this person or being in this moment. And then the other quote was about memory, really. Nostalgia is a scoundrel. It allows us to believe life has some meaning. Mm -hmm. What I took that to mean is that when we look backwards, you know, we tend to, we can tend to look at our at past events as sort of like, oh, oh, when I was 10, I was so happy. Or, you know, when I was mm-hmm. 19, I was this. And it, it you start thinking of meaning like, oh, I was so this. I was so that. I was so yeah. promised. And he's the author of The Anomaly is saying, well, nostalgia is a scoundrel and that it actually makes us believe that our life has some meaning. So he's saying, we're just putting the meaning onto it. It doesn't really have meaning. It's just like, mm-hmm. our think, yeah, I can see why I am the way I am now because of what I was. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess quotes that sort of question the meaning of life always interest me, even though they sound sort of depressing. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I think that's like, I'm, quiet because I'm trying to still like process so much of this information too but um, I think that's really interesting thinking about that idea of nostalgia because when you're looking backwards you know you are able to say things like 
oh, I was meant to do this because when I was young, I used to read a lot of books that prepared me for a role in librarianship and all of that kind of stuff. And I was just kind of thinking about how this book, it's interesting because the Junes are coming in and they're looking forward by three months and trying to like confront that time reality and how that has like maybe shaped their thinking and made them, I don't know, I guess in your point, like a little bit more happy with their lives, right? Um, uh, with the exception of maybe like Joanna June who kind of ran away. Um, there's something else I was going to say that I totally forgot. Oh, I was going to say too, like this book originally was in French, right? Um, mm. And translated to English. And I also thought it was a little interesting the uh, that the flight went from Paris to New York City. And also, like, there is this whole big piece with, like, the Colbert show. <laughs> I don't know if that seemed super cheesy and corny, but also made me think about, like, the ways, I think you kind of talked about this too, the way, like, these simulations are kind of running in their lives normally. Like, th that's a simulation, I think, in some respects. The the two Adrianas who go on that show and they're kind of putting on this performance, the way the slim men are, are doing their own kinds of performances, Um and, and wondering like where those simulations are, but you're pausing that like these simulations are in our lives all the time everywhere, but there's still truth to them and that's fine. Kind of. Huh? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Wait, what? Nope. No, no. So I, I think it's interesting for me in the book that there is this one big simulation that's happening, right, with the airplanes, right? But it's also pointing out, in my opinion, the little simulations that are happening in people's lives, right? Like the acts that people are putting on, whether it's through the acting of the Adrianas on the, the Colbert show or even Blake, who um, he is this contract killer, but he lives a very normal life, right, with a wife and children, right? But he is the truth of him is something that's very different, right? Um, and I guess I don't totally, mm -hmm. I'm not totally reconciled with what the author is saying about these ongoing simulations in our life. Um, oh, know. I see what you mean. I mean, the Stephen Colbert show where Two characters, which we don't know a lot about, the Adrianas, like Adriana March, Adriana mm -hmm. June, who's an actress, um, but is a long set piece on the Stephen Colbert, Colbert show. And, you know, I feel like Stephen Colbert has a great reputation of being funny and honest mm -hmm. and you know, to the point. But this was not exactly a flattering portrait of being on a talk show. Mm -hmm. He uses Stephen Colbert by name, but it's, to your point, the most explicit um, rendering of the phenomenon you're talking about, meaning the chapter with this Stephen Colbert interviewing the two Adrianas is very much about how they're all in agreement to manipulate reality, meaning the Adrian, one Adriana kisses her boyfriend and mm -hmm. you know, the author tells us that each one of them know, they talked about this before, that it, what, it's, a, it's reading to the audience like, oh, it's a spontaneous kiss, but they had discussed mm -hmm. it earlier. And Stephen Colbert had said, okay, now you're going to kiss your boyfriend, but the audience will think it's happening naturally. And they'll be like, oh, and mm -hmm. on. So they're all sort of in agreement to simulate reality mm -hmm. for the audience. That's a great point, Crystal, because that is a very explicit 
demonstration of how we do that in our lives because the whole interview is sort of constructed for the audience, but yet the audience is supposed to take it as happening in real time. Mm-hmm. But everything they did was discussed previously. And I'm actually conscious of that when I see talk shows because I know that the um, the guests are briefed by producers before they go on to a talk show. And sometimes bits are organized. Mm-hmm. And so it's obvious they're bits and they're intending to be obvious. But other times I think like this, this book is showing, they're intended to seem real, but they're actually made up. They're just sort mm-hmm. of doing it for the audience. So it is a simulation. Mm-hmm. So it, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess I'm also just like not understanding whether or not, I mean, maybe they don't have an opinion on it, whether that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> maybe that's what I want is to, to know like whether that should be um, like a rejection in our life or something that's like, this is just a part of life that we are doing these sorts of different kinds of simulations and we've kind of agreed yeah. to it. Um so I don't know where the author necessarily oh. stands on that. Well, I guess it doesn't need to, like, there doesn't need to be an opinion, but I wonder. Well, he's critical. I mean, I think he's, you know, it says that the book is a thriller, a great combination of a thriller and a literary so-called book. And I think mm-hmm. that's where the literary comes in. I think he's exploring these issues. But, like, you just made me realize that I saw this thing online somewhere about, and it's what we're actually doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking and I, you know, I feel like I don't have a, I feel like I don't have a filter, but I, I do to some degree because I'm talking on the podcast. I know it's being recorded and I know people will listen to it and I'm talking differently to you than if we were, you and I were sitting in a room without mm-hmm. an audience. Yeah. You know, it's more like, hello, welcome, you know, and then, <clears throat> you know, I feel like I'm being real, but of course there's an adjustment. Mm, much less cursing yeah exactly (laughs) um exactly so there is a simulated aspect to what we're doing right now even though you know while we're listening to us i'd be like oh crystal and frank are so real you know and and we'd be we'd be right to think that in some ways but yet we are in a different environment than if it was just the two of us in a room without Mm -hmm. i mean the maybe it's the aspect of an audience I don't know. That changes it. Oh, but then, so, like, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, I mean, it's always a performance, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a performance because we are doing this in many ways for, like, other people, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Yeah, Although, it, I, I am getting a lot out of, like, discussing this book with you because it's yeah. helping me understand it better. That's true. I and mean, even if we were together, see, all right, we're, we were just the two of us talking without an audience, there would still be performative aspects for both of us because we are two people who have personalities that might try to regulate ourselves for the other person. So there's performing for the other person. So we are each other's audience. And then you, if you keep drilling down like that, eventually you'll say like, well, what is reality? Man? What am I saying? If I'm performing in front of you, then what am I, so what do I have to be completely alone to be real? Um, you know, we're all, so then it's just, it's the question. That's what I think the book does is bring up questions. And like a lot of literary um, works it doesn't necessarily answer them all Mm -hmm. um you know it just brings up the questions that we all ask and uh like (laughs) what is reality here we are i mean it's just this is just all leading me to an existential crisis (laughs) you actually didn't read this book on the plane did you no i didn't but it's giving me a lot of thoughts (laughs) 
because <laughs> I will have to fly in like a few. Well, days, when you come so. back, it might be June. <laughs> oh boy! And you'll be like, where did the six, eight, nine months go? Um, well, I, I feel like I'll I'll be watching the second half, hopefully, of the Matrix Resurrections, and maybe I'll understand it better having read this book. Maybe. Yeah. Were there any characters that stuck out to you or that you liked or found interesting? I think Andre was kind of an interesting character because there was the aspect of like Andre and the internal mindset, right? And the thinking and the self-description versus uh, how Lucy saw Andre and then also how Andre June saw Andre March. Like, I think there was a lot of um, perspectives on Andre that I got to see in a way that I didn't mm-hmm. see for some of the other characters. And so they felt a little bit more whole to me. Interesting. Yeah. Cause that's a storyline that could be considered a interesting and in that it was a, like, you know, 30 year difference between Lucy and Andre, mm-hmm. like older man, younger woman, mm-hmm. what that dynamic is about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, you know, the easy go-to is like, oh, it's a wish fulfillment for a middle-aged guy to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what? <laughs> you got something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this, it, this was a bumpy book for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think there were definitely parts of the books, the book that was uneven reading, the big, as you said, the big set piece with Colbert. I think some of the Blake stuff, I was like, this is going into almost a different kind of genre for me. Exactly. Um, and I so there were things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it, he it, wanted it, to play with genre. Like, it's very hard-boiled okay. Blake's life and, like, the contract killer and what he's doing. I think mm-hmm. he wanted to play with that genre and especially open the book that that. that. And to me, I think there is, and I feel like he alludes to this in the, maybe in the early quote or something like that, but um, there is this thing about like maybe the author, like writing for himself versus writing a book that is like for the reader in some ways, like the delving into Blake, the, the, what he wants to say about Colbert and all, like all this kind of stuff, I feel like was satisfying to him, but as a reader, it was not very satisfying because it made it uneven for me i think very um literarily famous books can be so-called accused of that i think (laughs) the fans would would justify and be able to say to you here's why and then go into it with you Mm -hmm. whereas a reader who's maybe not as who's not analyzing as heavily could say this is just you know self-pleasuring for the author, you know, to do something like this, like to play with genre and stuff. You could go either way. I mean, it's interesting for sure, but whether you become a fan or not of it is, is up for grabs because, and I remember finding it interesting that you start off with Blake, who's very hard boiled, very noir, very Mm -hmm. dark, and then you don't see him for like literally 160 pages because you're Mm -hmm. in another character's life, which is another literary device because a so-called genre book will, give you a group of characters and then follow them closely through their travails. But you literally mm-hmm. drop people and pick up someone else. I mean, everyone comes back to a degree at the end, but you have to go through a long part mm-hmm. of the book where you're immersed in each person's life. And then the twist of the planes and then the, the meeting mm-hmm. of the two copies of each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like he had to have the Blake character to have this very, um, 
I guess, the example of a pair that like cannot coexist. So one has to kill the other yeah. situation. Um, but that felt very tropey. Like, I don't know if that was necessary. I think it could have been done in other ways that could have been more interesting. Um, well, I think also, Okay. I was gonna say, like, if if people like the Blake character, they should read. I think Dark Dark Matter or Dark Matters by Blake Crouch. I feel like is very much along that topic. Anyways, I mean, you know, like a lot of books, it's an exercise in what would you do if, like, Mm -hmm. an an author thinking like of this great idea of like duplicates, like in the world. Mm -hmm. What would you do if you encountered your duplicate? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that becomes then the exercise, so-called liter of this book in some ways, which is always interesting, you know. Like, and we're always excited. And then whether you like the payoff or not is is up to you. But um, like, what would you know? Because they, they're the results of each duplicate sets are different. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Andre and Lucy break up in March. The March version of them, the June ones come together. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid the young girl whose father is abusing her you know gets away in the june version um david dies in both uh mm-hmm. the contract killer kills his double and it's sort of like it, of course it has to beg the question did you think at all like what would you do if you met your double crystal mm-hmm. i mean i thought of it briefly you thought of it oh okay it did, actually and i realized how troubling it was if you really mm-hmm. did think about it that if we were in this world where i'm sitting in like an fbi room and they're like telling me what happened and they're like all right we're going to introduce you to your mm-hmm. to you <laughs> how would i feel and then, like because i remember noting when lucy met her double and they have the kid she was immediate like they were immediately antagonistic to each other because they came mm-hmm. up their territory like who's going to have the child and then yeah. also if the, if they're both in the be- thinking of the best interest of the child, then they have to sort of make it work together. But mm-hmm. yet the antagonism of like, I want you out of it because I'm the mom. And the other one's like, no, I'm the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and especially if there was a three month gap, like I, I was, what I really did was think of a moment in my life where I had a turning point or a, or mm-hmm. a notable mm-hmm. event that happened. And I was thinking if I met my double who did not go through that event, but I did, how would we talk to each other? Like, you know, a breakup or a tragedy, mm-hmm. something that happened. How would the Frank that went through it talk to the Frank that didn't and vice versa? And that became like an interesting thing. I actually found myself getting angry at my, <laughs> at my double. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, you're missing the, you're missing, a, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I was like, oh, so am I angry at myself? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> And then I thought the, yeah. I'm sorry, the shock of seeing myself, of seeing oneself that's not a mirror mm-hmm. and it has also have to be has to be pretty alarming that you see your body in the in the world, which mm-hmm. we never see. I liked the <laughs> one passage from Andre when Andre Andre June meets Andre March and he's like, Oh, like his voice is higher than he thought because he'd only heard it from like internally in his skull. <laughs> Right. And I think I would have that same reaction as well. I'm just like, oh, that's your voice. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, Andre, the Andres also, when one looks at the other, realizes, geez, I really am old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think those like kinds of himself, like, mm-hmm. I can't delude myself that I'm sort of managing 
a semblance of youthful vitality when, you know, I am pretty yeah. much getting older. Um, I don't know. It would be interesting, but I don't think it would be as smooth as I might think it would be. I don't know. I, I mean, sure, legal implications would be difficult. I feel yeah. like I would get along with my duplicate, you know? You're we'll start our businesses together, do all the things. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's why this book could have gone in lots of directions in terms of what are the legalities of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it is strange to think like, you know, you're living in your house or apartment for three months, and then your duplicate's like, this is my apartment. <laughs> you're like, what? True. That's why, like, when one of them was in a hotel, it was like, it was a strange thing. Can you imagine, like, being the, the June version, you come back and the, March version is like, oh, that would be you need to stay in a hotel. You're like, what? And then, you, but you're looking at the house like it's mine. Those are my mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's you know an exciting premise for sure. Mm -hmm. But we would neither of us would kill our duplicate, right? No, <laughs> like baby. <laughs> it depends. Like, I, I don't. I don't think I could be moved to that. I would. At this point in my life, I part of me would just be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I actually, for a second, I flashed on the fact that I've always fantasized about having a twin. Not fantasized, but like pondered hmm. the possibility. You know, I, I thought about the twin possibility, but I think what I would do is we would just exist as one person. So we would only have to go into our jobs half the time. And <laughs> you just want to work meet our friends, family half the time, and the other half the time I could just be like at home reading. Um, so the twins spread out that labor that you don't like. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. All right. Hmm. Are we reading uh, our own books next time? Mm, I think okay. so. Uh, yeah. Okay. What's my reading future look like? I don't know. Oh, you have to tell me what your um, book club thinks about this book. Oh, yeah. right. I have it today. Oh, you do? Okay. I'm I'm very... I just have the podcast before the... I wish mm -hmm. I could flip it sometimes. Well, no, it's good. But, it's... but then I could actually go into it with a little bit of your insight, too. And then you can let me know what they think. Because that's, yeah. I feel like they probably have a lot of interesting theories about this book as well. I Yeah, I know one member of the book club is the one that recommended it to me. Mm, okay. Um, so, and I, I know another person in the book club will probably not like this book at all, but we'll see. Mm. All right, we shall see. That was The Anomaly by Hervé Letelier. And let's just... Farewell. That was it. Thanks for listening to The Librarian is In, a podcast by the New York Public Library. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, or send us an email at podcasts at nypl.org. For more information about the New York Public Library, please visit nypl.org. We are produced by Christine Farrell. Your hosts are Frank Hilarious and Crystal Chen.